might just help you learn something in more ways than one. Welcome to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Dr. Bell is a licensed marriage and family therapist. He'll be your guide on this crazy exploration designed to bring life back into our existence. Can you become the element of change in an ever-changing world? Possibly, but you've got to listen on to find out. Now here is the host of Absurd Psychology, Dr. Gary Bell. Welcome everybody. All right, we're talking about what's love got to do with it. And this show's about love. Yes, you know, when we take the time to celebrate love, and the people who are meaningful to us. Love, which could be defined as like a, a, a synchronous energy resonating inside of us is more than just a, a biological imperative to, to procreate. There, you know, there's always in the beginning of life, there's maternal love and bonding, hopefully, some maybe not. But early in life, our first experience of love is through the warmth and the, and the nurturance and the affection that we get through the contact and touch from our mothers or fathers and, and primary caregivers. And, and during our infancy and childhood, warm, nurturing, affectionate behaviors from our parents basically gives us uh, the uh, capacity to form in intimate emotional bonds of relationships called attachments, which uh, shape how we form bonds with others throughout our lives. And so it's really important because some people aren't, who aren't quite properly loved have poor attachments. You know, uh, affectionate behaviors like touching and holding and kissing and hugging really do help provide with a sense of loving safety and trigger the limbic system to release uh, vasopressin, which helps us form bonds, and oxytocin, which is the love hormone, which combats stress, and it promotes feelings of closeness uh, uh, with others, and, and it helps us soothe ourselves. And so bonding during infancy is not only important for our survival, but it provides us with the safety and the comfort and the security that we need when we're stressed or in danger. And this also helps protect our physical and, and our psychological well-being. So humans, you know, are not the only ones who are affectionate towards one another for the purposes of love and forming bonds. I think we all know that. But tenderness can be seen among mammals that form bonds with one another and display affectionate behaviors like nuzzling in horses or kissing and hugging in chimpanzees. You know, there's different types of love. There's a maternal love is only one type of love that we experience in our lives. And uh, we're going to talk about the psychologist Robert Sternberg at the very end about the different types of love and the amounts of intimacy, like trust and warmth and closeness, passion and commitment. You know, these, it's called a, a, a triangular theory of love. And basically what he outlined is friendship, which is warmth and closeness to another person. That's intimacy, but no intense passion or long-term commitment. And then there's this little thing called infatuation. And that's that love at first sight. It's passionate. But the, but the lack of intimacy and commitment, infatuated love can disappear very quickly. And then there's empty love. The, the commitment exists, but the relationship lacks intimacy and passion. And then there's romantic love, when intimacy and passion exist, but not a commitment. And then there's compassionate love. That's an intimacy and commitment that exists, but the relationship lacks passion. And then there's fatuous love, and uh, that is a committed a commitment motivated primarily by passion, and it lacks intimacy. 
And then there's consummate love. And that's this ideal that involves intimacy, passion, and commitment, all three in one. And so, you know, how early uh, attachments impact us in our adult uh, romantic relationships. So if we got love early in our life, a consummate love, a consistent love, that means that we're open to love later on in life a lot easier. You know, as relationships evolve, different types of love may be present at different stages. And many of these love types tend to overlap with some couples having companionship and lust, but not all at the same time. So, in other words, there are many more than seven types of love, especially when taking into account that humans, we are driven by a biological need to procreate, which is lust. Yes, in romantic love, passion is more enduring, meaningful, cerebral than lust. And so, you know, um, early bonding and attachments we form with our parents when we're young play a really key role of how we form romantic relationships later in life. So in adult romantic relationships, we feel safe and secure in our relationship and have responsive partners and have close, intimate contact with our partners. But we typically have a secure adult relationship. But on the other hand, people who form a love type of uh, insecurity attachment known as dismissing avoidant may be uncomfortable with how close they get to their partners. And in an effort to detach from intimacy with their partners, they may engage in alcohol, sex, or other addictions, but they might also indulge in addictive behaviors like uh, paraphilias or uh, pornography, uh, emotional disorders like sexual arousing fantasies or urges that affect the person's sexual arousal, like voyeurism, um, like spying on other people's voyeurism. And then there's exhibitionism. They expose themselves to people who involuntarily end up (laughs) Having to see something they don't want to see. You know, there's also a, you have to break it down between love versus lust because, you know, they're very easily confused. And, and you know, as mutual attraction is one of the major components uh, of, uh, you know, popular dating apps like, like Tinder or uh, eHarmony or whatever, they match people up with other people who are sexually attracted to, but one or both people may not necessarily be looking for an actual relationship. You know, lust um, is an in, it's a biological drive to basically reproduce. And it's also present and drives our sexual attraction and need for sexual gratification. So our sex hormones, the androgens, the testosterone, and the OS, the estrogen, uh, estrogen, sorry, kick in when 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 uh, we're teenagers, and it's not uh, soon after that. The many of us have our first kiss, and many of our primitive biological drives to reproduce start to drive, and the need for sexual gratification comes out. So you know, it's true that in a relationship, that when someone may be lusting while the other confuses the other's attraction or desire as a form of a commitment. You know, although we may be initially driven by our sex drive, uh, simply being sexually attracted to someone doesn't mean that a romance or a relationship will advance or last very long. But a lot of people get that, the cart before the horse. They go for the sexuality before the friendship. And what's really interesting is people that form the friendship first develop a foundation that a relationship can walk on. And, uh, you know, many times that is what is skipped and then people jump right into a commitment, right into the lives of each other. And then all of a sudden there's a lot of things that don't match up. And unfortunately, many people 
with this, this, uh, you know, having this attraction uh, for someone will jump in out of fear that we'll never find the same thing again. And, and so, you know, intimacy is uh, like hugs and kisses. Um, this is, it's, it's a, this is really something that drives different aspects of human reproduction by enhancing our emotional and sexual brain processing, which is key to our, our limbic and uh, paralympic brain structures and areas responsible. That's like, those areas are like for your mood, your drive, your reward. So, you know, this kissing and hugs encourage us to procreate by fueling our sexual stimulation and desire to bond with the partner. And there's these driving forces is a part of the pair bonding and the romantic love. So that comes into it. And that's usually where some people start with hugs and kisses. Aside from, uh, you know, these kissing, uh, kissing is considered to be one of the highest forms of intimacy rather than being purely driven by our drive to reproduce, you know, passion and romantic love is much more than lust. That's hugs and cuddles and kisses are important in life because they create more body-to-body contact outside of intercourse and they fuel intimacy. And that's that's why when I talk to people, and it's so important that we have that two to three foot space around us that our energy tells us if someone enters that space oftentimes. And what's interesting is the more people enter to that space, the more they're claiming that person's real estate and basically developing an intimacy. And if couples keep fueling that touching and, uh, you know, it, it doesn't have to be lingering. It doesn't have to take anything more than a second, you know, like a little kiss on the forehead, a touch on the back, whatever. All those things, you know, a, a touching of the hand, those things create a pre-foreplay. And that's very important for people to do that if they want to maintain intimacy. And when people fall in love, that activates basically a reward system because people start anticipating and some people compare the initial stage of falling in love as being similar to that, you know, uh, what's basically like being on cocaine. A lot of people compared it to that. That's because infatuation is characterized by intense cravings to see or to talk to someone that you're totally falling in love with and the desire to be closer to them. And so when we're first falling in love, our attraction is driven by changes in our brain chemicals. And that includes, includes dopamine, which is what's found in, in antidepressants. And then it motivates us to seek and then maintain that relationship with somebody that we see as a romantic partner. Um, and so, you know, we get this rush of excitement, the nervousness, the energy, the motivation to pursue that partner. And this also produces physical symptoms like a racing heart, flushed skin, sweaty palms. And then serotonin decreases, which can basically improve your mood. You know, serotonin is an important neurotransmitter that regulates your mood and your sexual desire and your function, your appetite, your sleep, your memory, your social behavior, your learning. All of these change when people fall in love. So if you're really uh, falling in love with your partner, you may see this person is doing no wrong and you might idolize them and need neglect to see their flaws and their negative traits. And, and so it's in true, uh, you know, that, that love is blind. And despite the pleasurable, enjoyable state, infatuation is not only temporary, but it's a poor time to be making decisions. And, uh, that if euphoric feeling does wear off after a few months to several years, and it's definitely not 
what makes people stay together on the long term. And if you really wonder what makes people stay together in a relationship, it's not love at all. What's interesting is it starts as love, but what it has to be for a relationship to stay together and be strong without a lot of conflict, there has to be trust. And I'm talking about emotional trust, physical trust, all that stuff, financial trust, all these things have to come into play because if you work on trust, the love will grow. You can love someone and not trust them, but that trust is going to be difficult to maintain. But when you love someone, excuse me, when you trust someone, the love will grow and grow and grow. And there, there could be people you haven't seen in 10, 20 years, and all of a sudden you see them again, and you there was trust there when you came apart, and now all of a sudden you come back together and it's bang, it just grows and grows and grows again. You know, if, if, if couples reach an attachment stage, this longer lasting commitment is, is a, a, a companionate love, which two romantic partners believe that their relationship is going to last for the long term. So attachments are strengthened because of the release of oxytocin and vasopressin during intimacy and, and other affectionate behaviors. And so, so those, those same neuropeptides are released when we are children and help us form a bond with our mother and our caregiver. Interesting, that is where we learn how to love someone in a relationship. So, you know, uh, Khalil Gibran, uh, he's basically said, love without, life without love is like a tree without the blossoms or fruit. And it's, it's so true. And he wrote such, uh, such a beautiful uh, book, by the way, of poetry. But love is one of the most popular, most misunderstood emotions that any human being can experience. Because our human brains are totally wired for a connection with others. And we experience loneliness and rejection as painful threats to our survival. And that's an amazing thing. Uh, when people are lonely they begin to not thrive. And you can be lonely in a relationship. Um, when you're in an empty love relationship, that can be one of the loneliest places in the world because you don't want to disrupt your life, but at the same time, you're lonely and you can't do much about it and, unless your partner becomes a better partner or responsive or you become a better partner and more responsive. You know, for for biological and cultural reasons, a lot of us believe we need lasting love relationship to be fulfilled. Yet in reality, love love is not necessarily a lasting, unchanging state. I suggest that people fall in and out of love through the course of life if they stay in a committed relationship. They basically go through pockets of emptiness. They go through pockets of of uh, where things heat up, they go through pockets of conflict, they go through all kinds of states of love where we kind of drift through them. And so, you know, long time love is not automatic. It takes a lot of work if you're going to be in a relationship to keep it cooking. And, and you can't be selfish and you have to be willing to be vulnerable, which a lot of people won't because they develop boundary or they develop uh, barriers against their partner, resentments that build up over time of, of missed commitments, of areas of trust, of uh, violations. And so people hold those resentments in place and basically it destroys their sense of intimacy. But, you know, love is, is, is a momentary feeling and a long-term state of mind. So there's something 
to the cliche that two hearts beating together is one, you know, there's a lot of research that shows we do experience love in the moment as a state of communion. And in this moment of deep connection, people in a mirror each other's facial expressions, their gestures, or even their physiological rhythms. But love can also be a lasting mental or emotional state, which we care deeply for each other's well-being, uh, feel moved by each other's pain, and are motivated to relieve each other's suffering. And so, you know, it, that, that's a fact when love is in play. There's also building lasting relationship. A lot of people don't realize it takes so much work. Uh, you know, there's a, a lot of long-term studies of, of loving relationships that highlight there's behavior patterns that couples with lasting love share. They, they think of each other positively when they're not together, and they support each other's growth and development, and they undertake shared experiences, which they can learn and expand themselves. So they're contributing to each other's life willingly and wantingly in a positive way. And so many people develop those resentments that they don't relate to each other in a positive way. They don't think of each other in a positive way. And that affects everything in their life because they're married or in a long-term relationship. All right, we're going to come back. We're going to talk about a few more facts about love. And then we're going to talk about theories of love, which take all, all kinds of different angles on love. Come back. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Listen for Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young. Her show topics cover creating lasting transformation in challenging environments and how creating change can have an impact on the success of individuals from a mind, body, and spirit perspective. It's going to be inspiring and uplifting each week. So tune in on Tuesdays at 12 noon Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and also listen on the Voice America Business and Influencers Channels. Transformation takes one step at a time. It's time. Friend us on Facebook to keep up with what's empowering the world. Voice America Empowerment. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. All right, we're talking about what's love got to do with it. 
You know, we can increase our capacity to love. There's um, a lot of research on mindfulness and self-compassion that that practicing these strategies regularly can develop our brains to be more positive and empathetic in a matter of months. And, you know, people that have trouble loving themselves that you know they don't know how to say no to things that hurt them and they don't develop those boundaries and they live their life reactively to other people's needs as their givers and eventually they sell out the store and don't have the capacity to give because they've given so much of themselves they have nothing left you know but monks who regularly practice compassion uh, meditation have a different rhythm of brain uh, alpha waves reportedly by research, various research, that beginning meditation adherence and the average non-meditating person. So mindfulness and compassion, um, meditations increase activity basically in the brain centers connected with your empathy and your positive emotions. And it also decreases the activation of your fear centers and makes your brains interconnected. A trait associated with secure attachment. So, you know, mindfulness is a great thing. Meditation can be a great thing for your brain. And it's not just in your head. You know, a large body of research around all over the world uh, shows that loving connection is beneficial to your long-term physical health and loneliness and lack of social connection have been shown to really shorten our lives as much as smoking. So just like being a member of a church or a synagogue or or some place, some community group or something, for men in particular, marriage improves long-term health and the death of a spouse is a risk factor for their earlier death. Well, we don't uh, no, we know this because wives encourage their spouses to take care of their health and if it's directly related to their emotional and physical connection. So if we, you know, you have to fa- maintain your physical and emotional connection if you're going to be in a long-term relationship. So just doing that, that means you've got to maintain your body a little bit and you've got to take care of yourself. And so if we focus on love, we can really make it better when we deliberately focus our attention on our feelings and actions towards a loved one and to begin in a positive a reciprocal spiral of mutual appreciation and happiness for each other and, and so let's face it you know we all want to be thought about we all want to be cared for and appreciated you know so you know, the research shows that expressing gratitude in words or actions actually creates positive emotions in in the giver as well as the receiver and, and so you know we we really can enhance our, our love by focusing our attention. And, and, and if you read and believe anything about the, the love languages, you know, if you think about what did your partner ever do that made you feel loved? And if you can think about it, it might be a gift, it might be a kind word, it might be spending time with you, it might be taking care of you when a time when you were weak, whatever it might be. Those things are very important to us as people. And oftentimes people marry or in a relationship with somebody that has the opposite, um, uh, basically, love language. And, and what's really important is that if you're going to be with someone, you need to get to know that love language and you need to change and consciously engage that love language if it's a weak part of you. You need to change. Otherwise, you're taking your life down because you're making that partner miserable and lonely and empty and you're going to in the end 
have a partner that's not very happy with you, and that's not going to make your life any better. People are stubborn, though, and they, they just have to do what they want to do. So they'll bring flowers or whatever to their partner, but they don't really acknowledge well how their partner needs to be loved. And, and so that's kind of a, a respect by giving flowers, but it's also, it also can be a disrespect because that's not what they need. They may need a conversation. They may need some compassion or some empathy. They may need some time together. Um, you know, and, and if you ignore that and, and do that and unconsciously or even consciously ignore those things, there's going to be a lot of drifting in that love category. You know, love is not a fixed quantity. Loving one person, even a lot, does not mean you have less to give to other people. In fact, the opposite is true. Love is a capacity you can build with yourself through mental concentration, emotional engagement, and caring for other people. So when we focus on and savor our loving feelings for people, the internal feelings of satisfaction and connection we experience can motivate us to be more loving in general. You know, and also there's another thing about love. It's not unconditional. And and one of the preconditions for loving feelings is the sense of safety and the sense of trust. So in order to connect lovingly and empathetically, your prefrontal cortex basically needs to send a signal to the amygdala, which is the brain's alarm center, to switch off your automatic fight or flight response. So people who endure childhood trauma often neglect or they had abuse or other experiences that threaten their attachment may really have a hard time switching off the fight or flight or the flight free system or the feeling safe enough to love. Um, And so a lot of people with that have a lot of trouble uh, 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 being able to be in an attached relationship. And, And so this reticence basically can be overcome with, with therapy if a person's willing to submit themselves to that uh, or, or by a partner who repeatedly shows trustworthiness and care. However, repeated uh, expressions of care are not reciprocated by any heart softening in your partner. It could be time to consider moving on because if they're not giving that, then you know you may want to think this is not a good ingredient here. Do I want to live my life with this battle? You know, and also a lot of people don't realize, well, do realize it, but they don't practice it, that love is contagious. And and if people care and they show compassion and they show empathy, they can really inspire feelings in other people. And, and this may be why leaders like the like uh, Nelson Mandela and the Dalai Lama inspire people to follow with their best selves and help them calm down that fight or flight mechanism. Um you know, and, and, and you got to realize your life's not going to be forever and love is not always going to be forever, but it can be. Um, you know, Shakespeare wrote this really cool quote, love is not love that alters when alteration finds. You know, we now know that fixed, unchanging love is possible, but it's not the norm. And in fact, some theorists question the idea of a fixed, unchanging self. You know, we're not the same person today as we were 10 years ago. Life experience can really alter your biology, your thought patterns, your behaviors, your relationships may become more challenged when one person's needs change or both partners grow in different directions. And so, uh, 
you know, when thinking about your partner, the brain, uh, the, there's been brain scans that show a minority of people reporting long-term intense love for their partners look the same as do the scans of angels who report being newly in love, which is a good thing. That means if you maintain your love and you keep it and you work it, that it's, that it's going to have the same feeling as that new love, that new honeymoon type of love. You know, why do people fall in love? Why are some forms of love so lasting and others don't last? And so, you know, we have to look at that. It's, it's a basic human emotion, but um, understanding how and why it happens is not necessarily an easy thing to come about. And so for a long time, uh, many people uh, have suggested that love is, is simply uh, primal, uh, mysterious, spiritual, um, than ever, you know, really understood. Um, and, and so what we have to do is begin to understand what's the difference between liking and loving? And, and, and what is attachment? What is caring? What is intimacy? What role did they play? What role did they play in the sense of falling in love? Sometimes we experience a, a whole lot of uh, appreciation and admiration and, and with for others, especially, and we enjoy spending time with people and we want to be around them. But this doesn't necessarily qualify, you know, as love. You know, love, on the other hand, is, is deeper. It's intense and it includes a really strong desire for physical intimacy and contact. And, and so people who are in like and unquote, unquote, in that like each other, enjoy each other's company while those who are in love care as much about the other person's needs as they do their own. And, and so, you know, the attachment part of love is the need to receive care, approval, physical contact with someone else. And that caring involves valuing the other person's needs, their happiness as much as one's own. And so the intimacy refers to the sharing of thoughts and desires and feelings with the other person and feeling safe with that person is ultimately important if there's going to be any form of intimacy. And then there's compassion versus passionate love. And so there's this is what's really interesting. Uh, compassionate love uh, is characterized by mutual respect and, and attachment. There's an affection. There's a trust. And, and basically, it usually develops out of feelings of, of understanding and shared respect for each other. But passionate love is characterized by intense emotions, sexual attraction. There's anxiety there, of course, and there's affection. And when these emotions are, are reciprocated, people feel elated and fulfilled. And unreciprocated love leads to feelings of, of despondency and despair. And so it's kind of like you go out on a cliff uh, with someone and and if they don't reciprocate, you fall. You know, ideally, passionate love leads us to compassionate love, which which is, you know, compassionate love is very enduring for people and it's what many people crave. While most people desire relationships that combine security and the stability of compassionate with the intense passionate love. And so there, there's this... Um, color wheel model that we're going to talk about a little later, but uh, there's also this uh, this uh, six styles of loving. And so there's 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 these three primary styles. Um, and this has been the color of love by uh, John Lee in his 1973 book, I believe, uh, that he wrote. It's called The Colors of Love. 
And so he developed this, this wheel. And basically, there's the eros, which is, stems from the Greek word meaning passionate or erotic. And this is what Lee suggested, that this type of love involves physical and emotional passion. There's this ludos, which comes from the Greek term meaning game. This form of love is basically conceived as playful and fun, but it's not really serious. And so those who exhibit that form of love are not ready for commitment and are wary of intimacy and attachment. And so then there's this thing called storage. And that that comes from natural affection, which is in Greek. And this form of love is represented by familial love between parents and children and siblings, extended family members. So this type of love can also develop out of out of friendship where people share their interests, their commitments, and they gradually develop an affection for one another. And, and, you know, going with Lee's uh, color wheel analogy uh, the, the primary colors can be combined in, to create complementary colors. So these primal styles of love could be combined to create a whole lot of different secondary love styles. Uh, for instance, if you combine like uh, Eros and Ludos, uh, which is like mania or obsessive, um, you get all kinds of different uh, crazy stuff when you mix it all together, just like a color wheel. And then he, he uh, Lee created this thing called six styles of loving. And so there's there's the three primary that we just talked about: the eros, which is loving an ideal person; ludos loves a game; storage loves a friendship. But then there's secondary styles, which is the mania. Once again, that's the eros and the ludos, and that's called obsessive love. And there's then there's this pragma which is ludos and storage, if you mix those two together. And that's people that are realistic and practical. And then there's agape, and that's this is selfless love. And that's your people who uh, um, uh, are codependent, basically. <laughs> and so, you know, with that, uh, 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 psychologist uh, uh, Robert Sternberg proposed this triangular theory of intimacy, of passion, of commitment, and, and so those combinations uh, basically create components that result in different types of love. For example, combining intimacy and commitment results in a companionate love, while combining passion and intimacy leads to romantic love, which may not last. So, you know, according to Sternberg, basically relationships are built on uh, two or more elements or more enduring than those based on the single component. So they, what he uses is a term consummate love to describe combining intimacy and passion and commitment. While this love is the strongest and most enduring, he, he said, you know, basically this is so hard to find. It's so rare. So you might not realize it, but you're surrounded. You are surrounded by love. When you wake up in the morning, Oftentimes, the first things you'll probably see are the eyes and smiles of your family. You know, that those morning greetings, that's love. If you step out of your house and you, 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 your dog may come up to you or, or you know, and, and see you off and say bye, or, or maybe they come into your office at home if you work at home, and you turn on your music, what do you hear? Songs about love. You know, um, you know, if, if we're stopped by a traffic light, you'll look out the window and see, see, you know, couples sharing breakfast in a coffee shop or something, at least if you live here in Seattle. And, uh, you know, not today, though, not while we're during the virus. 
But, you know, you turn and look at the car next to you, you see mothers wiping, you know, something off their kid's face or something, you know, if they're stopped at a stoplight, you know. Uh, if you look up at billboards, uh, you see uh, people with inspiring quotes. Um, it's oftentimes on there, even in their advertisements. And, and, you know, when the light turns green, you may continue driving and smiling and feeling good and wonderful. So, you know, manifestations of love are everywhere and that's just a small fraction of your day but if you really want to look for it you will find it and so you know love is is the main theme of all music and what's really interesting about that is we don't realize how much we crave it we crave it to motivate our lives it plays a big role and what motivates us as people is to know that we're surrounded by love we continue to hear love we want love more than anything, but it starts to float to the back of our mind. And if we don't keep it to the front of our mind and keep it into our mindset, we live a very dry, empty life. And that's important for us to think about the quality of life that we want to live. And if you want to live with this ingredient of love or not, if, if you want to live with love, you have to help it grow. That means you've got to hit it on all angles. You've got to go after it. And what, we're going to talk about more, more theories. I'm going to talk about the psychology of love. And, and, uh, and then we're going to talk more about that color wheel and, and go into a little bit more of that theory because it's important for us to understand how much we need it, even if we may deny it on the conscious level on the subconscious level, we crave it and want it in our life no matter what. All right, come back. Change your world. Change your life. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Dr. Gary Bell is available for speaking engagements as well as teaching at your seminar or workshop and life coaching via telephone Skype or in person in the Seattle area. Dr. Bell brings his no-nonsense, straight-from-the-hip discussions each week on the show, but it doesn't stop there. Learn about motivation and psychology, one-couple marriage repair, a two-day workshop in Seattle, and more. Visit drgbmft.com today or call Dr. Gary Bell at 951-818-7856. That's drgbmft.com or 951-818-7856. Do you wish you could avoid having difficult conversations with your kids about sex, relationships, and how to stay safe? Do you struggle with what and how much to say? You're not alone. Tune into Holistic Sex Ed Radio with host Robin LaCrosse for a fresh new perspective on sex education that goes beyond the birds and the bees. We gather together every Thursday at 10 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Empowerment Channel for conversations designed to improve your relationships, expand your knowledge, and give you the tools to help your kids make the most out of their lives. Your favorite Voice America Talk Radio Network shows and hosts are in your car, outdoors, and wherever you need them to be. Listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are tuned in to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. 
If you have a question for Dr. Gary or his guest, please call in to 1-888-346-9141. That's 1-888-346-9141. That's easy enough, but if you want to send an email, it will take some thinking. Got a pen? The email address is drgbmft at sbcglobal.net. Or you can just click on Email Host on the Voice America page. Now, back to Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Welcome back, everybody. We're talking about what does love got to do with it. You know, love is everywhere. Unfortunately, not everyone really sees that. And uh, it's mostly because they don't... uh, fully comprehend what love is you know love for some people is, is an emotion shared between two people and it involves a deep connection and involves intimacy but when they hear the word they immediately think romance and they also equate it with affection that one feels for maybe a family member a, a blood relative or a friend that they really care about but it, if you ask someone to define what love is You'll probably end up staring at each other with uh, you waiting expectantly as the other person freezes trying to come up with some kind of reply. But in the end, they might just, you know, claim that it's something that cannot be truly defined. And so why even the most brilliant people out there seem to have trouble uh, assigning a proper and accurate definition to it. But psychologists um, look at love as has connections with a person's behavior and a person's attitude since it's at its core it's an emotion and it can be sub- subjectively studied and analyzed and that's what's called the psychology of love so if we come up with a definition of love we'd have to settle for one that utilizes a very broad view and 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 describe it as a set of variety of feelings of, of attitudes behaviors and and basically states that that represent a person's pleasure over something or their affection for other human beings or other creatures. Um, You know, people can declare that their love for their parents or or romantic partner is just as easily as they can openly claim how they love Starbucks coffee, which I'm drinking some right now, and and a new pair of shoes that they saw on the storefront on the way to work. So we often hear love being described as one of the most profound, uh, even mysterious emotions, and that's largely because how broad or large an area that it encompasses. And so there's a lot of research um, attempts to have an easier time understanding how love uh, came up with, with, and they come up with so many different theories. Going back to John Allen Lee, who had probably has the most comprehensive, he's, he was a Canadian psychologist, and, um, and he wrote a book in 73 called Colors of Love and Exploration of the Ways of Loving. And so uh, when we talked about the Eros and the Theos, but I'm going to break down further. Um, Eros is basically the love of beauty. And this is a type of love. And this is romantic. It's sensual. It's passionate type of love. and, And it's characterized basically by physical desire for an ideal other person or a lover. But in the eyes of the individual experiencing this type of love, no one is more beautiful than who they love or what they love. And that may be art. <laughs> it may be their dog. But, but it, it's, it, it, these eros, these erotic lovers for, have, have a, 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 a tendency to gain delight and enjoyment in tactile feelings 
feelings with their hands, feelings with their senses. So they love to touch and feel, which is why this type of love is closely associated with sex, which is uh, uh, the ultimate um, aesthetic experience. So clearly hormones play a big role in how this type of love plays out. And so these people need affection. And if they're married to somebody that's cold and dark, they're going to have a hard time getting that kind of affection. But, you know, the natural progression of this Eros type of love is, is, is comes from the first meeting, which is brought about by a lot of hype. But it's talked about the concept of love at first sight. But upon meeting, two people will feel drawn to each other. And that's called chemistry. And, and so that connection really can be traced to a strong physical attraction, such as when finds another person beautiful. And then this emotional intense attraction, such as uh, when they find themselves liking the same things and having common interests, this will be the basis of their relationship. And from there, they basically, as lovers, will find themselves picturing starting to build a future together. And then there's sex and sexual familiament, which is another factor, and that's largely a part of this eros uh, love and their emotions are are really easy to 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 break down uh, at, at, at sight. Even uh, the proximity, the mere thought of their lovers, their their experience, uh, their heartbeat, their pulse rate, their sudden attack of nerves, their butterflies in their stomach, their the warmth that creeps up their bodies, their speechlessness, general lack of coherent thought in, in the company of their object of affection is, is an earmark for that uh, Eros type of love. And so erotic lovers are able to feel, create, nurture a, a really strong physical connection. And so the, these two g- always go together, meaning a person cannot feel physical attraction for another without feeling something deeper for them. In contrast, they won't be able to feel anything deep or meaningful for that person unless they're physically drawn to them. And so, you know, erotic lovers are inclined to seek uh, uh, exclusivity. They want the other person to stay just with them. They want monogamy. And there's also this ingrained desire for an erotic lover to make the other emotionally and sexually secure in the relationship. And so it's, it's most likely a commitment that is intimate and, and, uh, and allows that sexual self to be free. So naturally, we expect the same of each other in a relationship if this Eros type of love is thriving. You know, in, in erotic lovers, uh, happens uh, spontaneously, generally. So this type of love blooms between two complete strangers at their first meeting, but they'll experience immediate excitement and anticipation. And then they have this powerful, almost urgent attraction. And so they want uh, these erotic uh, lovers, they want things to move quickly from the first moment they meet. Now they're in love. So why wait? So these two people are likely to start having sexual relations early in the relationship, even uh, after the uh, short after the first meeting, because they want that so badly. Unfortunately, if if you're a Christian, that's not something that that often is in the cards where you can go so far as intercourse. You know, who everybody has their own level of what they're going to do with their partner before they get married. But but uh, that sense of uh, not having intercourse until you're married for many Christian people, that's how they desire to have a a, a relationship. Uh, you know, erotic lovers um, are are basically hopeless romantics and they put their partners on a pedestal and they think they don't do any wrong and they treat them like glass. Um, they're, 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 they're very delicate with their partner. 
Um, you know, they develop pet names for each other, like uh, Honey, Sweetie, Baby Cakes, whatever, Babe. Uh, and they're, they're, these people are also uh, ready for love. In spite of the risks and uncertainties that come with it, they get a sense of fear, uh, fearlessness, and the knowledge that they will be with their lover and be able to face any kind of risks. So the advantage of erotic love is, uh, is how it's rooted in deep feelings and emotions such as tenderness and affection and protectiveness. And then the, the, the erotic love also provides satisfaction because both are emotionally uh, uh, and physically uh, connected. And so they're both able to be freely giving to each other's urges and engage in activities that will give them mutual pleasure and satisfaction. So, you know, Eros can prove to be a really strong motivator and very, you know, inspiring and, and for people to become better and better as a couple and as a person in order to satisfy their partner and be happy. And, and on a, a physiological level, it also allows the person the feeling of being relaxed and relieved because it, it lets their emotions uh, freely take control. And, and now there's disadvantages to that, too, that it can be so passionate, it will eventually become consuming for them, uh, for the lovers. And so they, their preoccupation with their lover and their relationship has a tendency to block out uh, all else. So other aspects of their lives may get neglected. For example, a man may spend all his time with their lover and their family members complain because they, they're never ever to get to see them again. Their supervisor may also notice their performance at work has dropped because they're always uh, first to get off work without finishing what they need to do. So uh, basically, you know, erotic love requires nurturing, which also demands a lot of time and effort. So keeping love going strong will need a lot of work and contribution. So they have to sustain their interest in each other and keep those flames burning. So this, this pertains to both the physical and emotional aspect of the relationship. It's very consuming. So they, they, they may, uh, erotic lovers may blur a line uh, between fantasy and reality too much. And that can lead to delusions on the part of them and then when they wake up into real life they may find that the person they married is not nearly as compatible as what they thought they were going to be during the eros you know uh, there's so many of these short-lived relationships also and that's that ludos and 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 it's often experienced by uh, competitive people who like to have fun you know ludic lovers Love's basically a game it's they're they, they basically it's a notch in the bed or or notch in the belt, whatever you want to call it, for them to have conquered or won. And so they, they adopt this in-the-moment attitude, not caring about their future. And more often than not, they, they do not really expect the relationship to go anywhere uh, beyond the here and now. So they, they do not consider love as something to be taken seriously. For them, it's more of a game. Uh, uh, and, and it's like a sport and, and their partners are toys to be played with. And in multiple relationships, they want to be the superior one, the one in control. And they're not above cheating or lying or deceiving since they see these actions necessary as the moves to be a part of the game. So the word commitment does not exist in their vocabulary. And um, for them, marriage is nothing but a trap. And it'll basically it messes up their game. So they're predisposed to having multiple partners, oftentimes at the same time, that display a whole lot of, of uh, 
range of taste in partners and there's no specific type of partner that they're drawn to because everyone willing will do. In other words, it's quality, quantity over quality. And so Ludic Love is not one to spend a lot of time looking for, but it's important to look for those people as people and understand that, you know, they're out there. Uh, they oftentimes have apathy, not empathy for people. And they're oftentimes looking for something that is centered around them. You know, when we talk about um, familial love, which is love of your family, uh, um, it's a, basically a fraternal love. It's like a love between best friends and companions. That's storage. And that's that high value of loyalties, duties, responsibility. And, and so that's important to understand. But the people in family ties are very important uh, for a storage lover pursues this type of love with marriage, family, kids, and for the future. So this also makes them uh, uh, a bit possessive, but also uh, only to a reasonable extent as they, they're not given to huge fits of jealousy. But they, you know, that as a lover, they look for their partner and significant other as a best friend first. And then they start to see the potential for a lifelong partner and they can build a family in the home with. So that person experiences uh, uh, you know, they rarely hold grudges. They 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 um, they, they like friends. They like someone to be social, someone to be a part of a group. Um, and so the advantages of them is they're safe. They're not likely to damage or hurt anybody. And uh, you know, one party is playing with the other. And so without the the latter's knowledge, it, it's not meant to cause any hurt. But it has a strong foundation, a friendship. Even if the intimacy is over, their friendship will remain. So they're not likely to commit infidelity and become unfaithful because they do not want to rock the boat or do anything to harm uh, the sanctuary of what they've gotten into. But the disadvantages, the lack of passion, often gives the impression that it's not deep enough to stand the test. Since sex sex ranks low on that scale, it's often seen as a bland, unimpressive kind of love. And oftentimes, that's what people fall into, especially if they're under stress or overwhelmed. They will fall into that familiar type of love and lose the sex. So, you know, th- there's going to be a lot of boredom in that kind of relationship. And bored people do bo- are boring, and bored people can do dangerous things. So, you know, when we look at the whole advantage of, of love and finding love in our life, it's important for us to get a realistic Uh, expectation of what love looks like and what our love to our partner and what we want that to look like. All right, that's our show. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. I'd love to hear from you. You can do that through our webpage on voiceamerica.com, the empowerment channel, Dr. Gary Bell's Absurd Psychology. Now remember, you know someone loves you when you fart and they don't run away. Also remember that tingly feeling when you get with when you start to like somebody is actually your common sense leaving your body (laughs) and love is a sweet dream marriage is the alarm clock (laughs) that's a jewish proverb and for some of us true love is the willingness to share your popcorn thanks for listening everybody that's our show for this week 
Please join Dr. Gary Bell for another edition of Absurd Psychology next Tuesday at 2 p.m. Eastern Time, 11 a.m. Pacific Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Now go impress your friends and family with what you've learned today and have them tune in next week so they can be almost as smart as you. We'll be right back. 